Welcome to the Voices of Wall Street podcast, a show bringing fresh insights about the stock market, economy, and the most innovative companies from the sharpest people in the world of business and finance. I'm Dion Raboa. In this episode, we're taking a deep dive into the retail and restaurant industries. While Nike has been among the coolest brands in the world since signing a 21-year-old Michael Jordan in 1984, brands like Crocs are just starting to grow out of their awkward stages and find themselves in the in-crowd. I spoke with Aaron Murphy, senior research analyst at Piper Sandler, about our outlook for Nike, Lululemon, Crocs, and key trends in the Gen Z demographic. I also chatted with Nicole Miller-Reagan, head of consumer equity research at Piper Sandler, about the K-shaped recovery and how it's hitting the restaurant industry, how food chains are appealing to Gen Z, and her top stock picks. First, here's my conversation with Aaron. Aaron, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and I want to start here. You know, we're in this brand new world and we're seeing a significant change in terms of buying patterns and in terms of, you know, what people want and what they don't. As you look out into the world right now, Who's winning this new world that we live in and who's kind of being left behind a bit? Sure. So I think what we're finding, particularly coming off our 40th semi-annual taking stock with teens results, is you know the brands that have had the best investments in digital and those that have the right product for today's world, we've clearly, we're in the midst of a global pandemic, seem to be winning. So it's the Nikes of the world. It's the Lululemons of the world. Those were very strong standouts in our most recent survey findings. And those that seem to be losing are those that just haven't adapted to this new world order of digital first and having the right product. So whether it's Ralph Lauren, whether it's Ferry on the footwear side, um, there are some brands that just seem to be not keeping up with the level of investment on the digital side. And was this a thing where these brands just weren't, they historically weren't putting in the investment? Or is it that even now after this pandemic hit, after we see the need to invest, they still are under-investing or, or not doing what needs to be done? So I think it's a couple of things. I think for those that seem to be, you know, maybe lagging at this point, you know, part of it, I think there has been a disconnect, if you will, of the brand with the younger demographic. So maybe they haven't been innovating enough. They don't have, you know, the right collaborations or even the right channels. So many brands that seem to be fading right now really were built on a pretty archaic wholesale oriented model that you know, was relevant for a Gen Xer, relevant for a baby boomer, but not relevant for a millennial or a Gen Yer. So I think a lot of what seems to be some of the pain points today of brands that have maybe lost some of their luster, I think it starts from distribution and maybe not having the right distribution for uh, the times today. Gotcha. And one brand you just talked about, you said who's winning is Nike. Uh, You guys have an overweight rating, $148 price target for the stock. And they've been the number one apparel brand in your survey for 10 years straight. How is it that Nike is able to win in this new environment? They're obviously winning in, you know, the old world pre-COVID. What is it that they did to set themselves up to win? And what have they done so far as we've been in this new world that has allowed them to remain leaders? Sure. So I think Nike has, as you referenced, for one single decade, so 10 years of data, has been the top brand for this young demographic. And 
they first have a great kind of archive of product. They've had successes over the years that they've continued, they've been able to make new again to the next demographic that may be buying the product. So you have this archive kind of library of really strong hits, whether it's Jordans, whether it's some of their lifestyle shoes that they're bringing back into rotation. Um, and they've continued to keep up with the times. I think one piece in particular for Gen Z is they're a very uh, socially aware demographic. They care on social justice. They care about the environment. And Nike seems, their messaging seems to hit right at the crosshairs of what teens care about today. Um, and then not to mention, they have done a lot of heavy lifting over time with kind of being in the right distribution channels for as the consumer gets younger and younger. So um, they have a very powerful um, digital platform. It's, you know, as of the last quarter, it was almost 30% of their overall uh, sales distribution, or that's where they're on wow. pace for this, this, this year. So we feel pretty strongly about um, their ability to just get closer and closer to that consumer. That's really interesting. And one thing that a couple people have pointed out is the ratings are down for this NBA finals doing really poorly. Ratings in general for uh, sports have, have really suffered. But as you talk about Nike, which has been out front with its partnership with Colin Kaepernick and you know a number of other things has been booming. Is it is there a disconnect between, you know, your traditional TV watchers and the youth that Nike is just saying, okay, we're forgetting about those older people and focusing exclusively on these Gen Z and new younger people? And that's the key to having success? Or are they also doing other things that are that are boosting the brand? Yeah, look, I think, you know, Gen Z and the younger consumer in general seems to drive hype for brands. You know, if, if you're a relevant brand, you're going to find out first from a younger consumer, typically. And, you know, that's that's the consumer you continue to have to surprise and delight and, and bring newness to. But I mean, you know, this is a year where we've had all key, you know, global sporting events canceled. The Olympics have been canceled. And yet Nike is climb is continuing to stay on top. So to me, I think that there's a broader lifestyle behind the brand. It's not just for, it is a brand, you know, clearly for the athlete, but it is worn by so much more than, uh, you know, so many more people than just pure play athletes. So it's aspirational, um, it's fashion, um, and it's performance all in one. So I do feel like you've had this big shift towards comfort mm. um, and towards functional product. And, you know, particularly during 2020 in, 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 during COVID. And um, I think that they've, you know, come out on top. Yeah. And that's, that's the really, the other question that I had was that switch to comfort. We know athleisure is way up in terms of sales, in terms of shipments, formal wear way down. Uh, and those kinds of trends in terms of people wearing, buying what they would wear around the house rather than what they'd wear in the office is really the story so far of 2020. Does that have legs though? As you know, we hopefully uh, soon get a, a vaccine or some kind of you know sustainable treatment for this virus and people do start going back to work and going back to games. Um, are brands going to have to now reinvent themselves again? Or is this something you see as being a more permanent shift or at least something that is here for a, a long time, maybe not just a, a bad time? 
Sure. We do see it as a sticky trend going forward. I think, you know, 2020 has taught us all a lot of things about ourselves. And I think some of the, um, you know, if you would ask, you know, probably many of us, like, could you see yourself working from home permanently or part time? I mean, it would be shocking. I mean, you've had entire organization. I mean, literally the whole world has worked from home, um, you know, at some part, if not the entire pandemic thus far. And so I think that the consumer is shifting what units, what product is going into their wardrobe. We've done a lot of survey work throughout COVID and not just with Gen Z, but looking at kind of the broader demographic. And 74% of consumers in our September COVID survey that are working from home said they plan to continue to work from home in some capacity after the pandemic. And on average, by over three days a week would be their ideal. Now, clearly, that may not happen for all employers, but or that may be, not be the, the mandate. But the fact that even one incremental day, two incremental days of working from home, I think comfort becomes a much bigger piece of the wardrobe um, on the other side of this pandemic. And so names like a Nike, like a Lulu are just so well positioned, um, you know, to capitalize on a very significant structural, from our perspective, shift in the Yeah, wardrobe. and you talk about comfort. And another name that you all mentioned in this report is Crocs. Which makes which makes me cringe a little bit. Um, I'm not a fan of the Crocs, but the youth, the youths out there, the young people, they like Crocs so much so that Crocs has a new collab with the man JB Justin Bieber himself. Um, how did Crocs get cool so cool that they're now partnering with the Biebs, who is clearly the man in these streets? It's the beaver fever for Crocs <laughs> right now, isn't it? Um, I think you, we've got to take a step back with uh, with Crocs. I mean, it has been, and I've covered this stock most of my most of my career. We were on the IPO back in two thousand and six, and what's been interesting on on Crocs is they've had a lot of you know false you know starts and right. um, starts and stops. But what's really I think compelling about the company and, and the story right now is they've completely changed their distribution. They've moved much more into digital. Um, as of the last quarter, over 50% of their business was done in some digital way, whether it was on their website or through a digital pure play wholesale partner. Um, you know, they've, they've kind of focused on what they're best known for. So to your point, it can be a very polarizing silhouette. It's a clog. It's either you love them or you hate them. But, you know, they decided over the last three to four years to really just focus on what they are best known for, which is that clog. And, you know, they cleaned up their distribution. They um, started, you know, capitalizing on a younger demographic first, you know, focusing on high school sports and not because you or I would ever go play sports in a pair of Crocs. I don't recommend that, but because these teams get together and on and off the basketball court, on and off the soccer pitch, they are, you know, using a comfortable you know, kind of slide or a, you know, easy on, easy off right. shoe. So they kind of got in the mindset of, of teens, you know, over the last two years. And this has now become kind of a phenomena. In the spring, it was the number 12 brand in our teen survey. This fall, it was the number nine brand. And you've seen, you know, more and more collaborators. So Justin Bieber, to your point, he drops his uh, clog tomorrow the clog. Um, at noon Eastern time. But I said the JB huh? clog is coming out as hot. The Daisy Club with collaboration with his his own brand Drew, so it's got Drew and JB all over it. But yeah, so that hits, and you know, but we've seen many other brands. It's not just the trendiest Gen Z 
maybe, you know, follower influencer, you've had Vera Bradley, which caters to kind of their older demographic. You've had collaborations with um, Bad Bunny, with Luke Combs, so a variety with KFC. So I think they've just found a way and candidly taken a play from Nike's playbook, um, from Vans playbook to have excitement around limited release product. Well, I mean, basically that's, that's what it is. If you want to be cool, you got to wear, you got to wear Crocs and you got to wear the Crocs clog. Um, Aaron Murphy, managing director, senior research analyst with Piper Sandler and co. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's crazy to think about how successful a turnaround Crocs has been able to pull off. Demand for that Bieber Croc was so high, it crashed the Crocs website and delayed the launch by an hour. Once the slippers or, you know, maybe their shoes, whatever you want to call them, were finally up for sale, they sold out in 85 minutes. Aaron increased their price target to $53 on Tuesday in response to the Bieber rollout. Anyway, next up is my chat with another senior research analyst at Piper Sandler, Nicole Miller-Reagan. She explains why Chipotle is her top stock pick, why she's more bullish on Dunkin' than Starbucks, and how these brands are connecting with Gen Z. All right, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us and being with us on the program. You bet. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to talk about the uh, the restaurant and casual dining industry. It's been one of the more popular uh, stock sectors. And, you know, as in terms of the stock market is actually done really, really well. Um, can you talk about how well the sector has performed since the coronavirus pandemic hit? Sure. I mean, the sector has performed actually quite well. If you just look very high level at, you know, the entire universe of coverage or all restaurant stocks across the board is kind of mimic the market. And there's a few reasons why um, the recovery has been fairly encouraging, fairly consistent. And the other overarching element is the restaurant industry is the third largest employer in this country behind the government and healthcare. And when you think about sectors that have to be protected um, and given attention, this is very much at the top of the list. While restaurants have done really well, restaurant stocks have performed really well, restaurants also have been really part of the hardest hit segment of um, small and local businesses by the pandemic. Can you just talk about why we've seen, you know, it's it's kind of the term du jour, the term du mois, if you will, uh, the K-shaped recovery uh, in terms of one group of companies has done really, really well and another group has done really poorly. Can you talk about how that's impacted the restaurant sector and how that's playing out right now? Sure. You definitely see that in the stock performance. I couldn't agree more. So while on average, it might look like restaurant stocks have done just fine, when you drill down even just one level, for example, between limited service and full service, the the pattern of performance is, is very different. The multiples that are implied in terms of valuation are even more different. And so in limited service, it's because of the drive-through, um, but more than that, it's because of scale. I mean, there's there's kind of the idea of scale, which translates to liquidity, which translates to large cap stocks. And that very much mimics, mimics the market. And then the second piece is much more fundamental about the company performance. You know, and one group lags because of mandates. If you can't go in the dining room, it's a little bit more difficult to get the business back that you had in the prior year. 
But if you can push it all through the drive through and supplement that with delivery and other digital efforts, it's a lot easier to get sales back where they were in the prior year period. Yeah. So has it just been a tale of size or has there been even some of the larger restaurants that have struggled? When I look at stocks, it very much is about size. Uh, We see the franchised stocks, which are also going to be large cap in some cases, you know, mega cap. If you look at a McDonald's would be a prime example that very much mimics the market and what you might see in the technology space as as a proxy. And the smaller companies are small in size and scale and scope, but they're small in market cap, and they very much have been left behind. In fact, in some cases, it's very frustrating because their fundamentals are doing better. They have great teams, um, great executives, field management, same-store sales are recovering, but the stock is not recovering. And we see that time and time again It's very difficult because at the bottom, they went from small cap stocks with growth prospects to now micro cap stocks that are very difficult to to invest in. In terms of performance, it's a little different because you're right. That's a little bit more about, am I a chain? Do I have some kind of financial capital behind this business? And those prospects look very different than they do for independence across this country. Right, right. And I think what's what's really interesting is you all most recently put out your uh, your fall 2020 teen survey and really found that this is a big or could be a pretty big tailwind, a tailwind for the restaurant and particularly the QSR category. Can you walk me through that a bit? Yeah, sure. That is so much fun to do, um, you know, twice a year, for 20 years and learning so much about this next generation, they're, they're very, frankly, encouraging and hopeful signs about what they care about in society and what they consume and how they do it. And so it's a real pleasure getting to know this demographic even better through this right. survey process. They love limited service, just like we saw millennials did when they were teens Um, You would see, for example, Chick-fil-A taking unprecedented double-digit levels of mindshare. And some investors will get, you know, caught up and say to me, Nicole, that's all about chicken. Like everybody wants, you know, chicken. And and that's certainly one piece about of it. But if you look at what what those teens really want, they want a place to gather. And I'm talking pre-COVID in this case. Um, But some of those brands, you know, have done a good job of being the next place for them to hang out. Yeah, and what will... Obviously, they can't really hang out now. So since the pandemic, what brands have done the best and how has that been reflected in the share prices in terms of getting to these teens and giving them what they want? Yeah. The ones that you can digitally access. I mean, you're right. You could look at a certain cuisine or or size, but... You know, if if you have digital access, that can trump your footprint, although they do go somewhat hand in hand. But, you know, we saw um, Chipotle move, move higher and higher and higher and even actually do better than Taco Bell, which is interesting is they're not trying to be what Chipotle was, but more like accessible to the masses. Uh, We saw Dunkin actually come into the top five um, in a long time and they've tapped into a cohort with social media and snacks and espresso drinks, especially on the cold side, 
that they didn't offer before right. um, and really got, got teen awareness that they didn't have Yeah, before. and you've talked about Chipotle a couple times. They're at the top of, of you all's teen survey, and they've also got a pretty high price target. I think it's over $1,500 in overweight rating from you all. Um, Dunkin's another brand with an overweight uh, rating and a pretty high price target. Can you talk to me about why you like those and why investors should be getting excited about that? Absolutely. Duncan's a very recent upgrade for us. And it's it's very simple. We're looking at four things. What's low ticket? Low ticket and high frequency so you can go a bunch um, because times are tough right now. And I know a value proposition was what we used to look at. Something could be technically cost more, but a great experience. Well, in this situation, low ticket absolutely matters. Franchise business models, you know, that matters in a stock. You can offload the operating risk and you still have to have a healthy tension with franchisees, obviously. We also look at where are you operating? Frankly, it's easier to be in the East Coast reopening than the West Coast that's still shut down. That's a very myopic short-term view, admittedly. But the last and most powerful piece, non-replicable cuisines, non-replicable experiences. And the fact of the matter is I can do Taco Tuesday at home, probably grill some burgers, but I'm not frying chicken. That part's not happening for most of the population. Don't fry your own chicken, Nicole? (laughs) (laughs) Even when you think about the coffee, I mean... You know, that's the, the the two cups of coffee in the morning is is one thing, but the 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 break in the day where coffee was consumed, like that's an experience. And I can't replicate that just by drinking coffee, you know, sitting here at my desk. That's not what that second or third or fourth so people, cup of coffee was about. And we don't experience think experience huh, loss. We that's don't think it's so gone. people aren't aren't just making that second or third cup of coffee in a day at home. They're still going out to Dunkin' Donuts. Actually, you can actually see that in their numbers. You can see two things that are really cool in the Dunkin' numbers, um, or maybe holistically in coffee, that if you look at the the grocery coffee growth, it it doesn't totally account for the prior number of coffee cups consumed. So obviously, there was um, kind of a spontaneity of those other cups of coffee throughout the day um, that, you know, will be back in favor of those like a Dunkin'. But the other really cool thing is if in your urban area, and, and that's not where people are trafficking right now, if you have your loyalty member, in the case of Duncan, 13 million member Perks members, they can watch them transfer their sales to their neighborhood store. That does it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed my conversations with Piper Sandler's Aaron Murphy and Nicole Miller-Reagan. As always, this episode was produced by Mike Teich.